You're listening to the weekly podcast of the services at Stonegate Fellowship Church in Midland, Texas. For more information about Stonegate, visit StonegateFellowship.com. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. And uh, let me get you caught up on a couple of uh, matters of interest to you. We will, um, May the 7th, which I'm yeah, that's the first Wednesday in May, will be our last time to meet. Uh, because of some scheduling issues and some different things going on, we won't go all the way through May. So we've got, you're stuck with me through May 7th, and, uh, and then we'll be done. And then we'll start off again uh, in the fall. Also, for those of you who still might be interested in traveling with us to uh, Glorietta to help get the camp ready, uh, we have, you can still sign up, right, Leon? So you can still sign up. If you want to go with us, leave on a Friday morning. I believe I'm going to look at you when I say this. Leave on Friday morning, come back on Sunday, May 2nd, and uh, just trying to get them caught up, and it's going to be exciting to see what uh, we're able to get done and how many kids are going to be there and what's going to happen. Uh, If you haven't been with us, if you're not a regular at Stonegate and you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks, I hope that you'll take the opportunity to get online and listen to uh, Jay Mayo as he preaches through this series that's been called Scars. And I hope you'll get a chance to, to listen to that. It's been a real blessing. Well, let me read these scriptures to you. And, um, and then they're not out of Hebrews. I'm just going to read a couple of uh, scriptures to you out of Psalm 91. And then another Psalm here in just a minute, we'll pray. Psalm 91, a portion of it says, Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him, I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him, I'll be with him in trouble, I will rescue him and honor him with long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. And then Psalm 103 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, thank you for, again, this opportunity to come together. I thank you for your word, and I ask you to please open our eyes to see wonderful things from your word. And as we look into this issue of of faith, a word that is so easily thrown around, but maybe uh, This morning, you'll give us an opportunity to see a little bit deeper into what is intended and what is meant by faith out of Hebrews 11 and the responsibility of faith that we learn from our forebears um, in the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's find our way to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. One of my all-time favorites, but it's become my favorite for different reasons over the years. So Hebrews chapter 11. All right, Hebrews chapter 11. I'll give you some notes there. I I, uh, gave you some empty blanks as we go through the notes and um, we'll try to get through them here. You'll be able to fill some of those in. Let me just go through the first one before we get into Hebrews 11. Uh, I don't think there's anything for you to fill in much there, but remember, and I said remember because I've said this many times before about faith. Faith is always and only as large as its object. Uh, Everyone is a person of faith. The question is whether or not that object is sufficient. So everybody in this room is a person of faith. Every man, woman, and child 
is a person of faith. You know, you run into people all the time who say, well, I'm just a person of faith. I don't have a particular religion. I don't cling to anything in particular, but they do. And they have an object for their faith. There's no such thing as having just a, a belief in nothing. You absolutely stake your life on something. As a matter of fact, even when you look at the scriptures that talk about salvation, but for instance, Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, this is by, by faith you're saved, or you're, by grace you're saved through faith. It's not just your ability to believe. It is you placing your belief on the Lord God in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your salvation is, an, is placed on the object of the Lord Jesus Christ. You, so sometimes we, we, we are not careful enough with that understanding and you, you get people worried about whether or not they have believed enough or they're trying to gin up enough belief. You see it in the faith movement when people try to believe enough to move God's hand and they're going, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing, I'm believing. And really it's not a matter of how much you believe. It's who you believe. It's what you believe. And that, that is true in your own life as well. You oftentimes will do things based upon how much faith you have in your ability. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just helping you to see. You will do things based upon, you will try things. You will risk things. You will uh, adventure out into something based upon the belief that you have in your ability to do it. Now, there may be someone who looks at you and says, you're um, overestimating your ability. But regardless, you may go ahead and do it because of the faith you have in the object of your ability. And so it's the same thing in this issue of faith. Faith is, um, in fact, when, when our faith increases, it only increases to the degree in which we trust the object of our faith more, or we get to know the object of our faith more. You do not grow in faith and then place it in something. Your faith grows in proportion to the size and the power of the object of your faith. Everybody's a person of faith. All of us place our faith in an adequate object. Now, let's begin reading in chapter 11. We'll skim through chapter 11, but I want to point out a word, this word commendation, okay? Let's begin with verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now, I'm going to ask you to skip down to verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. Now, let me keep reading, and then we'll get to this word again. By accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then if you even go over to verse 39, go over to verse 39 near the end of the chapter. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. 
I'm going to stop for just a minute and just be honest with you guys, because I may slur my speech. I talked to Bobby about this, and I may sound like I'm a little off. I was up all night with something wrong with my back, so I'm just not telling you that to make you feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you that if I sound like an idiot at any point during this point, I feel like an idiot. So uh, it's something that's shooting through my back when I'm speaking. So if I go, I'm not speaking in tongues. It's just I'm trying to, if I'm going to speak in tongues, I'll just say my father plays dominoes better than your father plays dominoes. So anyways, all right, now that you know where I am, let's go to commendation. Okay, let me give you a definition for commendation. To be deposed to testify, to exhibit character, to be declared distinctly and formally. Now look at this word, martyrdom. The word for commendation that's most often translated for commendation is the word to be martyred. It is, it is to be commended in that you give testimony to what you believe by the willingness to sacrifice your life for it. Now when you read Hebrews chapter 11 again, And every time you come across the word commendation, it is saying the act and the life of their faith was a martyrdom towards and for the object of their faith. They were willing to give everything they had. It defined who they were. The object of their faith defined who they were. In fact, Hebrews 11 is wrongly called the hall of faith, so to speak. It should be called the hall of martyrs. Some died, some lived, all of them did not receive the promise, but their faith was worthy of martyrdom. And from this point on in the discussion, men, it begs the question for each of us, is my faith on display towards martyrdom or is my faith about what I get from an object I choose? Because real biblical God-centered faith surrenders itself to the object's desires. And that's what we are supposed to do as we walk through this hallway of faith. So go to number two in your notes. And, and before we go to number two, let's, let's read verse six. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now think about that for a minute because our, our mindset that we've been raised with is that God looks at the size of our faith and, and he likes me more than you. He's more pleased with me than you because my faith is bigger. Wrong. It's the object. Now watch. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You always draw near to an object you believe will pay you for your devotion. You always draw near to that which you believe holds out reward for your greatest satisfaction. That's what you place your faith in. That's why, and I mean this in in gentleness. I don't mean this as always coming down on work. No, you, you place great faith in your employment to reward you for what you do. And oftentimes we place greater faith in the direction of our employer than we do in the grace, mercy, and direction of God because that's an object of faith we can see. And so you read read that verse again with me. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now go back to number two on the notes. The reason it's impossible to please him without faith 
is that he is either my object of trust or something or someone else is. I choose to have faith in an object that I believe rewards me. God-centered faith says, God can be trusted, I will serve him and I will trust him. And the result is reward. Now be careful with reward because the greatest reward of faith is relationship with him. If it's not, then we're gonna have problems with the rest of Hebrews 11. Because Hebrews 11 is gonna tell you that everybody who received promises from him did not receive them. You're gonna have problems with that if you think faith is about you getting something rather than you pushing into a relationship with God and him being the reward. He is the reward. If he's not the reward and relationship with him is not the reward, then I am having faith in him for something other than him. Now be careful. I can trust him for something, but I have to trust him for the something he has for me that's best. There's a difference. To trust him for something I want rather than to trust him to meet my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus is a different matter. That's why a lot of name it and claim it movements and things like that are completely godless. The object of my faith has to be God and God alone and he rewards. How he rewards is for his glory and my joy. Let's go to number three. The result and action of my faith is always a reflection and testimony about the object of my faith. I'll read it again and then we'll look at the scriptures. The result or the action of my faith is always a reflection and testimony about the object of my faith. In other words, martyrdom. Martyrdom always puts on display what I am willing to give my life for. A martyr says, you can take my life because it's not mine. Faith is the expression of a martyr's heartbeat. I hope you camp on this word commendation because the question I ask myself at the very end of this is very simply, is my faith martyrdom or is it about me getting? And so we, we keep reading, by faith Noah in reverent fear condemned the world. And I put in bold for you there, a real right directed God-centered living faith is to be either a bloody or bloodless martyrdom. It's either a bloody or bloodless martyrdom. And what I mean by that is most of us in this room will not suffer a bloody martyrdom. Most of us in this room will not have to sacrifice our physical lives because we trust. And and now see the difference. I will probably not have to sacrifice my life because of my faith. But that's not just my faith. It's a faith in something because a martyr is destroyed because of the object of their faith and what that demands of them. You see the difference? A martyr is not destroyed because they're a person of faith. A martyr is destroyed because of the object of their faith that dictates their life that is a danger to the people who kill them. So is my faith, my faith in God, a danger or condemning to a culture that watches it? And if you look back at the scriptures with me, I gave you um, that notice where, where Noah, in reverent fear, condemned the world. In reverent fear of the object of his worship, his life, no references to the current day movie, his life 
condemned a watching world because the object of his faith drove him to do something that no one had ever seen or done. So whether he was ridiculed, laughed at, or whatever, the object of his faith was worthy of his expression of a life that he was willing to be martyred, so to speak, in that walk of faith. Let's go to number four, a little longer. God-centered faith is never blind. I hate the word blind faith. God-centered faith is never blind, for the object of my faith is not what I will gain or receive, but whom I will trust for an outcome of his desire, his will, and greatness, and my ultimate joy. Now look at these verses. I just put them all there for you. Verse three, go back to your scripture, says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So my faith is in the character of God, the nature of God, and what he can do. Verse seven, Verse seven says, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. It became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So look at verse eight and nine. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, He went to live in the land of promise. His faith was in the character of God. The object of his faith was the character of God, not some crazy dream. He left because God said, not because he had a vision and he thought, man, that's a great deal. I think I'll just walk in faith. No, the object of his faith said, go do. So he went where things were not seen. He did not know where he was gonna end up, but the object of his faith was not blind. He was going in obedience. That's why you have to be careful when people tell you they're doing things by faith because it's dangerous territory. It's dangerous territory and people start saying, well, I'm just believing this is gonna happen. Well, okay, but let's be honest and say you might be believing because you're believing, not because the Lord has directed you. It's always dangerous territory. God's speak is always dangerous speech. When people say, well, I've been praying about it. I've prayed about it. Because whenever people say they've prayed about it, that ends the discussion. If you've ever had a discussion with somebody and they say, I have been praying about this, you need to leave that discussion probably because you can't, you can't negotiate when people have prayed about it. And when people have heard from the Lord, that's dangerous. Now, I'm not disputing that you've heard from the Lord. But when somebody hears from the Lord, how do you go, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't think you have. Well, yes, I have. I mean, how are you going to debate that? Yeah, I've heard from the Lord. I heard from the Lord and you're wrong. Well, I heard from the Lord. I mean, I don't know how you do that. But these people were not blind faith people. Look at verse 13 through 16. And these verses right here stuck right in the middle are so powerful. These all died in faith. I'm reading this slowly for a reason. Not having received the things promised, but they saw them from afar and greeted them from afar. Now that, unless you're going to manipulate your definition of what faith does and what it is, for them to not have received what was promised is a condemnation against the character of God. Unless there's something more to it. Unless there's something more to faith, faith has to be about me knowing him, concentrating on him, depending on him, and the things promised are not what I'm after. I'm after what people know of him. 
A martyr is never after what they get. They're after the king who they serve. These people did not receive what they had been promised. But keep reading. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak like this make it clear they're seeking a different home. If they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. In other words, because of the object of their faith, they were willing to leave everything behind. And then it goes on to say, but as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared them for a city. Now, let me pause here for just a minute because one of the things that, that Jay has been teaching me as I've been listening to him through the, the uh, uh, SCARS series is in our current context of thinking, all of us, most of us, have a tendency to think we are the center of the story. Um, you know, we, we, it, our health, our issues, we're the center of our story. Our, our 70 or 80 or 90 or 100 years, even if you live to be 110, we sort of have this idea that, that this is my story that I need God to bless rather than, and, and Jay and I were talking about this yesterday as he and I will be on stage this Sunday. He said, you know, there was a time when death was expected. There was a time when death was normal. There was a time when families had 10 kids and expected at least five of them to die. There were times when the farmer said, man, my son got run over by the tractor. We expected that. There, there was a time when poverty took lives. I'm not saying we need to go back to those days. But I'm saying what's happened is in our current context, in a world where we create our own Facebook that's all about our face, where we take our own selfies and we post ourselves, we are the center of our universe and it's caused us to lose sight of this old school thought that says, I'm just passing through. I'm not a part of, I'm not the center of this story. God is going to use me for his glory and he can use me however he wants. I was talking to someone yesterday about this. and We were having a discussion about how we, we, we so pendulum swing this because one generation says we're just passing through. Another generation says, but you have such a contribution to make rather than kind of meeting in the middle, you know? And a friend of mine has a grandmother who's in her 90s and he was over at her house over, um, I, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago and we were having this discussion yesterday and he said, I was talking to my grandmother and I asked her if she felt fulfilled and, and if she felt she had accomplished what she was supposed to accomplish in her life. And he said, my grandmother looked at me and said, I don't have a clue what you're talking about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She never thought about, have I figured out my purpose? She said, I got married, we had kids, we worked, and God took care of us. You know, and, and now I know some of us are like, well, that's just, that, that's not living big. Maybe that's living with the right object of faith. And seeing what God would do. And being willing to listen to what he would say. I would direct you to these people and say, when, they, when the object of their faith became God, the object of their existence was no longer themselves. But oftentimes the purpose of our faith is to see if God will do something for us rather than being martyrs for his cause. I submit to you, the people we study in Hebrews chapter 11 forsook 
what they could gain for themselves because the object of their faith was worth more than what he even promised them this side. Number five, right-directed faith calls you to sacrifice Isaacs you never deserved in order that you might discover rams you would have never seen. Now, verse 17, you probably know the story. You can refer to Genesis 22. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Now, you remember a little bit of the story. If you don't, you know, Abraham and, and his wife, Sarah, they were barren. They were of an old age. They had this sort of thing with, with the women of the household for Abraham. And, and this child named Ishmael was born. God comes to Abraham, says, I'm still going to bless you. There's going to be a son from you. And, and Abraham says, why don't you just settle with Ishmael? Story goes on. Abraham and Sarah have Isaac. Genesis 22, God says, I want you to take Isaac and offer him as a sacrifice. First time the word worship is used in the Bible. So he's ready to sacrifice Isaac, the gift that the object of his faith has provided. And he's ready to offer him up a child he never deserved, but that God gave. The object of his faith entrusted him with a son. And he's about to sacrifice what was not his. Again, that's another issue related to the object of my faith. Everything I possess and am allowed to possess as a martyr belongs to the one to whom I owe allegiance and give allegiance. Therefore, I'm willing to offer it because it's not mine. So he's willing to offer this Isaac and in the willingness to offer this Isaac to the object of my worship, at that moment, God shows him a ram in the thicket he didn't know was there. I submit to you, gentlemen, there are Isaacs in every one of our lives we do not deserve. And before God shows us something we can never hope or imagine, he's waiting to see if we'll give up what he gave us we never deserved. What it, to, to sit for a minute and go, I never deserved this. Thank you. I'm going to cling to this. Is to miss the character of God and the work of your life. What, what Isaac has he blessed you with that you can hear him in his still small voice whisper to you? Put that on the altar. And in your mind, you're thinking, but I, I would lose what I would consider the greatest gift. And he says, put it on the altar. Put it on the altar because my, the object of your faith is either the Isaac you didn't deserve or the God who gives the Isaacs. And when we start giving away the possessions and sacrificing the accomplishments, the God we serve can entrust us and reward us, verse six, because we pursue him, we do not cling to the gifts he's given and we see rams we would have never seen before. Guys, I'm telling you, there are many of us in this room who have yet to see something amazing, if I can be um, literary about it, hidden in the thicket because we're clinging to something we never deserved. What is he, as the object of your faith, nurturing in your heart that's gonna require you to sacrifice an Isaac so you'll trust the object of your faith and he'll show you something you've never seen before? Number six. Right-directed faith risks because it trusts an object that is bigger than right now and what now? Verse 23, verse 23. Watch this whole process. It looks, as you remember the stories, it looks crazy. 
But everything that was done was done because God was the center of their story and they trusted him. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that he was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The object of their faith was the God of the Israelites. And they trusted him with their child and saw what God would do. They did not fear. They were martyrs. They did not fear the king's edict because the object of their faith was not the government. It was the God of all governments. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The object of his faith was defining who he was. So he risked. It really wasn't a risk to him. What we consider the risks of a martyr are really the natural actions of a martyr whose object of faith is God. Verse 26 He considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth and the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt. Did Moses walk out of Egypt because he said, I got an idea. I I think if I believe hard enough, this will happen. No, he didn't. In fact, he didn't even want to be the leader. But the object of his faith demanded of him to go do it. See, it wasn't wasn't Moses' faith so to speak, that drove him to what God did. It was the object of his faith that led him to be who God had designed, called and gifted him to be. Be careful with thinking that Moses was this amazing guy of faith. All you gotta do is go back and read Exodus and find out he wasn't. There were several times in the book of Exodus where Moses was like, are you kidding me? You've got to be kidding me. Would you look at your people? That's not the, the voice of a guy who says, we can do this, God, you and me. This is a guy who stood at the burning bush and said, I, I can't talk. I, I, I can't do that. So go get your Aaron. Go get him. It, this is not a guy that is, you know, a televangelist faith guy. This is a guy whose object of his belief, of his faith, he staked his life upon. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. What would drive him to tell people, hey, go ahead and sprinkle your doorpost because there's an angel of death coming other than the trust and the faith and the character of God? Number seven, God-directed faith must eventually see a bigger picture or it is not a faith that pleases God or is ever rewarded. Verse 39, We're skipping a lot, but I hope you go back and read it. Actually, just for the sake of of not missing it, verse 32 through 38 starts out really good. Let me point out a few things I think are kind of interesting. In this whole discussion of people of faith, I always find it interesting that when you read verse 32, he says, what are we gonna say? You know, time would fail us if we spoke of Gideon, Barak. Look at the people who just get barely a mention. Samson, David, and Samuel. I mean, these guys get a parenthetical reference. I mean, if I were David, I'd be like, what are you talking about? I mean, I, I've got a lot of stuff in here about me and I get that and that, that's what he gets. I mean, he takes up much more space than Moses. I'm like, come on. So I, but for why, why that happens, I don't know. But when you listen that through faith, they conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. That's a reference. You know who that's a reference to and quenched the power of fire. And you skip through that. 
Verse 35, women receiving back their dead by the resurrection. But this is the part that's rarely mentioned. Some were tortured. And they refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two, killed with a sword, went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. You will always pay whatever price is demanded if you believe the object of your faith is worth it. And all of us, most of us, as men, at one time or another, have given our lives away to our own desires because our object, us, dominates sometimes even what's right. So when you look at something that says, you mean these people went around destitute and afflicted and mistreated? Everybody gives their life away and pays any price for what they think is worth their life. The question is, is your object of faith in a God, the God, who can demand anything of you and you'll lose any Isaac to see any ram? But listen to this phrase in verse 38. Of whom the world was not worthy. To me, those are the most powerful words in the chapter. Of whom the world was not worthy. It begs the question in my quiet time, God, is my life worthy of this world or am I living for something greater? Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, look at these words, though commended, martyred, through their faith, on display, though he slay me, as the scriptures say, they did not receive what was promised. Now, gentlemen, this is your calling right here. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from, and I'm going to make it very personal, apart from you, they should not be made perfect. Now, I made a comment earlier about us thinking the story's about us. But the reason it's not about us is because it's not about us. But, we, but the bigger picture is we stand in this hallway. We stand in the lineage of this calling. And when we get into chapters 12 and 13 in the next couple of weeks, where it tells us in verse 1 of chapter 12, you are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. You know what the word is for that? Martyrs. You are surrounded by another host of martyrs. Gentlemen, it begs the question, am I standing in a legacy of martyrdom that carries on the name and claim of Christ or am I just piddling around in what has been purchased for me once and for all with a savior who sits at the right hand of the father who has sanctified me for all time and pleads my case? And do I stand in that martyrdom of faith or am I trifling with faith? And I would submit to you, all of us are probably trifling in it. But the way you wage war is you don't leave here and feel all guilty and go, oh, I'm just a failure. You bow your, your head and you bow your heart and you get on your knees and say, God, help me. You go to verse 13 through 16 and say, God, help me to see in ways I've never seen before. Help me to see work differently, life differently, my sin differently. God, become the object of my worship. Turn my heart towards you because none of the people referenced in chapter 11 were perfect. None of them. Abraham was a foul up. 
Abraham gave his wife away to harems twice because the object of his faith was not sufficient at that moment to protect his family. He, he just said, hey, don't tell them I'm your husband. And she ended up in the king's harems. In one particular place, the scripture says that God shut the wombs of the women. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to ask, well, why do you have to do that? When you look at Moses, Moses lost his temper. Moses was a murderer. He was not perfect. And the, real, and the fact is, he never even got to enter the promised land. But he still stands as an example to us of what it means to be a martyr. So please, for for God's sake, don't sit there and say, I can't stand in this legacy because I'm a foul-up. We're all foul-ups. All of us. But that doesn't mean we sit back and go, well, I can't do anything for God. You're being urged on by a cloud of witnesses. I mean, look at David. You know his story. Samson's listed there. It took him with his eyes gouged out in prison to be used by God in a great way. Give your Isaacs up. Walk, look at the rams and let God put you in this place. But start with a prayer that sounds something like this. God, be the object of my faith. I don't want to be a person of faith. I want to be a martyr because the object of my life is worth putting on display, even if it shames people around me. How you do that in the daily environment is critical. Let's pray together. Father, when I read these words and I have them in my notes, the history of faith is what I'm connected to and it requires action and discipline on my part. Every time I read this chapter, Father, I am, I'm, dis, I'm always reminded of my weaknesses. I don't know if I could fit in company with the people of Hebrews 11 and... Um, but then I'm reminded that all of us are dependent upon grace and mercy. And I just pray that you would help me. And I, as each guy wants to make this his own prayer, I, I, I hope he does. But let me run this race today well. In such a way that, that it carries on a legacy of commendation. Literally martyrdom. That displays the glory of God in all that I do. Whatever context I find myself in. And, and when, not if, but when I um, am not commending who you are, may I be even quicker as the days go by to correct and to keep running the race. We'll get into that next week. I know with uh, what it means to set our eyes on Jesus, but it's a constant adjustment. I pray that as these men go out, the object of their faith would more clearly become you and not some idea of faith. And you'd show us where the object of our faith is not you. Be glorified in all that we do today. Thank you for these men, their patience and their attention. May they preach well as they go. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next week.